Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bijou. Let's get political. Political. Please explain. Flexing the democracy muscle. We cannot succumb to the laziness. Get informed. Get fit. Do you want Labour's energy? It's time to flex your democratic muscles, pals. Let's get political with your hosts, Sky Riggs and Stacey June. Welcome to the fourth episode of Let's Get Political. I'm Sky Riggs from YVote. And I'm Stacey June, writer and broadcaster. Aha. Look yeah. at that. You're no longer founder of yourself. Beige bitch. I mean, yeah. seriously. <laughs> I'm not. I've got to step it up. You know, I'm a big believer in all my other podcasts, all my self-care, woo-woo, blah-blah, that words mean things, and here I am just kind of uncomfortably scattering around my titles. So here I am owning it on week four. Stace, so when I'm uh, putting forward my bio for stuff like panels and that, I'm like, I'm pumping you up. I'm like co-host of Let's Get Political with podcasting queen Stacey June. So you can roll. I'll be your publicist. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I, everyone needs to walk around with a publicist. Yeah, that and a personal assistant. <laughs> this week we are covering, and just before we hit the 2019 election, this episode will drop, we are covering politicians. What is it again? Sorry, I could. Personality that we had a, versus right. party. What are you really voting for? Yeah, so I think my understanding of this point is I guess the Trump effect to some degree that this conversation has definitely started to be a lot more prevalent, even though what I don't think many of us understand about presidential campaigns, because the US say that, well, not say, but they have a democracy, but they run their campaigning very differently to how we do. But I think regardless of that, there has been a really big, I guess, interest in a conversation around presidential campaigning and this idea of who we're voting for and and how the leaders of these main parties really sell themselves in as this one key figure as opposed to you voting for an entire party. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because it becomes more pronounced in election campaigns, but of course, personality makes a difference. Like personality is our first touch point for how we start to understand values. And that's like then how we understand policy. And connecting too, yeah, right? Connecting. So I think the interesting thing around a lot of the conversations I'm having, this whole Bilton, Bilton. Bilton. <laughs> yeah, that's his new. So, so well this whole Shorten v. ScoMo thing, yeah. you know, so much of it. I wonder if it's because of this presidential campaigning or the way that um, I suppose they've decided, or maybe not Bill Shorten as much, but I guess ScoMo has really decided to be such a forefront of his campaign. I wonder if it's 
that that's why we're kind of focusing on this uh, personality instead of party issue mm-hmm. or is it because they're both so divisive and they're both so different and people are so, they either love them or they hate them, that that's why I guess the conversation is around those two blokes this election? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like I think there's I mean, the analysis is, and I think ScoMo is already, sorry, the Prime Minister has already said it himself, <laughs> that he's, um, that he's running a presidential style campaign. And there's so much that feeds into this. Like we, first of all, in America, you actually, when you vote, you actually vote for the president. In mm-hmm. Australia, we're not voting for a Prime Minister, you're voting. So that's but the key. So difference. many people, it's yeah. so interesting. As much as I think most people probably are aware of that, because you do know yeah. ScoMo's liberal, you know, Bill Shorten's Labor, even Dina Tarly's great. Mm-hmm. You know everybody. Yeah. yeah. You really, the conversation in the pub is about the blokes. Yeah. It's not and about the party as such. It's just, it's just, even, and if it does come up, it's definitely secondary if yeah. it comes up. And that, and I think that makes sense. Like if you think about it from a branding perspective, people want to identify it with something. And one of the major issues issues these parties have had in the last decade is they've had identity issue basically like the big discussion around there's no difference between the major parties the fact that they flip-flopped all over the place with their policies I mean this election is the first time in ages where there's been a true distinction between the major parties so I think it's pretty natural if you were like a marketing person to go, well, we need to give the public something to identify with. Mm. Let's put the personalities out front. But of course, Shorten's not running that campaign because you just feel a bit neutral about Shorten. Like he's not the kind oh, of God. No, so charismatic many people, leader. So many people don't see him as a leader. Yeah, that's definitely They don't definitely necessarily thing. dislike him, but yeah. there's just this doesn't unleadering inspire. thing. Like you don't think of like – Barack Obama or Jacinda Ardern in the same sentence, really. <laughs> you know, and it's quite interesting because I think in a way it's put the emphasis back on the whole Labor Party and on their policies, whereas the way it looks like the Coalition and Liberal Party specifically are campaigning is it's very much about Scott Morrison's personality. Mm. But this isn't new. Like connecting personality isn't like a new thing in politics, but I think like you said, like since Trump how is that like affecting how people campaign and how we perceive politicians and our expectations of how they act in the media? So I think two things that are worth discussing is like one, the difference between personality and being able to identify with someone and having an authentic sense of a leader. And then when commentary gets really personal and it's unhelpful and not really any kind of indicator of who they are as a person or their policy, like positions, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a big spectrum between getting to know someone and being popular and it turning into a like big soap opera. Do you think often it turns into soap operas when people don't give a lot? Like say, for example, for Julia Gillard, we knew so little about her life and I'm not excusing such of the disgusting coverage that was done in such a sexist way around her term, Mm. but she really did, it was just pure professional for her, you know, like we had some idea that she lived in Altona with a dude (laughs) and he had a kid and, you know, that was it. Like there was really not a lot of information given. So I wonder if people go digging even more when people hold that part back. Like could that have been a better, I suppose, exercised in terms of her advisors and just thinking about the fact that, 
you don't get to just pull back completely when people are trying to connect or trust you. It's such a tough line to walk because I think the way that the news media is like 24 hours a day and then, of course, social media, anything like, you know, is that balance between being authentic and putting yourself out there. But if they say like, anything will be picked up on because everyone's looking for a story. And so I think a lot of people, politicians have reined themselves in a lot and there's a lot more control around messaging because if there's just one snippet of grab, that that is becomes the news. And I get that and I know that it would be so much more heightened, but that's like any broadcaster or anybody in the eye, like in the public eye, like, you know, doing as much live radio as I have in my time, absolutely not under the uh, microscope as politicians or a leader of the country. But I've always had this sense, and it's funny when uh, to bring Eddie Maguire up, but he's a broadcaster. He does a lot of live stuff. He's mm. there all the time. But when he f- makes mistakes, I do often think, you make mistakes because you actually thought that? Was it a mistake or is it just a showcase of who you actually are? Mm. And I think to some degree covering up too much makes me question what you don't want to show. Like there is this ability and we know it with reality television now. I know reality TV as well isn't. It's scripted and it's, you know, there's – but we expect to be able to see parts. So whilst I don't think we need to go to this celebrity level, there's got to be an argument to say that the way our culture is moving is that we have an expectation to have a bit of a picture of who you are, what you do, what your family are about and what your true personality traits are because that is how people gauge trust now. Totally. And, I mean, I could – And always probably gauge trust, right? totally. I just think the level of exposure is so much higher now. Like like if you think about to all the prime ministers before John Howard, like who wouldn't have had to deal with this 24-hour media cycle and stuff, like they can – they're remembered for certain iconic things but it was like – the, the control and the media was crafted so much different yeah. in a different way. Whereas like now they just the need to say, had a say. Yeah, and yeah. it was, there was, you know, journalism in between. Yeah. Too. <laughs> but like now, like I think this, the need for a story in those clicks and stuff means they say one thing and that becomes the grab and it detracts from the story. And yes, there's lots of other people in the eye, but it's, they're not being necessarily held up as looking out for the lives of people in their country and so I think that's why we have a different expectation of politicians and I agree with you it'd be so much better that if you could be authentic and I think um, people like Jacinda Ardern work, walk that line pretty well of you I think feel women, it. I think most women do it funnily enough it's it's really interesting I find even people like Tanya Plibersek, mm-hmm. even Julie Bishop yeah. when she was in, you know, Actually, there yeah, was just this of- this kind of idea that they, yeah, a bit of Women's Weekly here, you'd kind of have a bit of an idea of who they were at home, but they were in work mode when they were at work, you know, so yeah. there was. And it didn't feel, oh, something, you know, it's interesting pushed. observation. Yeah, like there's a, a natural like storytelling to it because I think like that's something that came out of, um, of the Trump-Clinton campaign was you know, whether you agree with him or not, he was able, he felt authentic. You trusted that what he was saying, even if it changed, it was authentically him. Whereas Clinton, my impression of her and that campaign is even with all those media advisors, she is such a policy wonk that she had trouble selling the ideas and the values and the stories that come before the policy. Mm. Um, and so she never got a chance to mm. implement those policies. So I think you do have to be 
you know, be able to do that. And it's a real struggle. Like we don't see a lot of politicians in Australia, like really thriving in that social media space and using that as a form of direct communication with the public. Mm. It is interesting. And I think there needs to be a little bit of as much as I think what I've taken from the Trump stuff is obviously we don't want people with lots of money that have a, that have been on a celebrity television show to be running our country. That's not an aspiration for Australia from me. But I do think we need to start being quite realistic on how people's behaviour is and how people receive connection and how people receive warmth and how people yeah. receive a story, as you were saying. And I, I think things like, you know, your appearance, whether you're female or male, I think the way that you speak to people, I, there's just so many parts of these two particular major polit- black politicians that are leading these parties that I think who's advising them? Like this just feels so prehistoric. Like surely we have some picture of what Bill Shorten's house is. Like why haven't we got a camera in his effing house? Like (laughs) how, like I know the White House is different and whatever, but think about Michelle Obama, those girls, the dog. You get this picture, man. Like like she, like as a communicator, oh my gosh. Like her, like so I actually read Hillary Clinton's book and then straight after read Michelle Obama's and it's, chalk and cheese in the yeah. way they communicate like Clinton's like and then I did this and I believe this and da 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 whereas Michelle is like well she's older she tells a story yeah, it's and it's just a different communication style there's all the arguments for how social media and the, all of this has like um potentially degrading you know good robust debate and all these things but I think there's a real opportunity for the democratization um of politics because one of the problems is, is like, so you see, in my view, like you look at Bill Shorten and Scott Morrison and it looks like their, their Instagram feeds are like, they feel so. Oh my God, I want to look up them now. Um, they feel so, it's really I funny. I didn't even think about it. Staged. I don't even know what, I, can it's you like, believe I follow Obama and wouldn't even know what like the leader of the, our, like the prime minister of yeah, our country yeah, yeah. and the the opposition leaders <laughs> to look at the pages out. Now, okay. still time. Okay. So here's the thing is like you look at it and it feels like they've taken their press shots a lot of the time or at least it feels very staged and like plonked them on Instagram. And He's only got 39,000 yeah, followers, both Bill Short. Both, both of them I think are under 40,000. So you could run. And I think this is the thing is I think there's a huge opportunity. There's people that are using these platforms and one of the challenges for the major parties is bringing up new new energy and people that actually reflect the electorate, not just career politicians. And I think there's Oh my a- God, sorry. <laughs> ScoMo's only got forty five thousand. He's the prime minister of the country. Well he's higher than last time I checked. Wow. But like that's the thing is imagine like if you're not bringing through people that reflect the electorate and that can't communicate through his power. Like think about how many people have 100,000, 200,000, a million followers and their ability to mobilise the community if they can, like they can run. And I think that we'll see this with independence a bit this year is, you know, can people use their own platforms? You don't need, you know, big mainstream media necessarily anymore. It's <laughs> okay, so, we're on his, we're going down the Instagram. Oh, my God, sorry. I am listening, I am listening, but... There's just something about this bloke. I don't know what it is, ScoMo, but just some of these photos are like, you know what he looks like, what the, his version of Instagram is? Your dad's drunk mate that you don't really want to talk to. Like he just not. I'm not sure that that was the brand guide they came up with. But he just, I don't know, he doesn't look 
like if he's, he's coming or going. Like I don't, it's, I'm indifferent. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm not saying I've got, there's nothing to really hate, but there's nothing, there's just absolutely That's nothing I mean. to love. It, he's just so irrelevant to me. But that, and like I think what we see translating on Instagram is this same kind of really controlled messaging and um, imaging and optics and all that kind of stuff where it doesn't, everything's it doesn't been controlled. It's, they're not using Instagram in the sense that's made it popular. Same with Shorten. It's the same thing, exactly as you say. It's campaign photos. I will say, as Instagram users, and we all mm. are, the photos are better quality, so you straight away, I don't know, you're more likely to kind of look through them. But then I liked that some of ScoMo's were of him with his wife at the cafe, you yeah. know, I, so I like that as well. So you can't kind of try and tell them to be better and then, you know, you've got shit quality photos, blah, blah, blah. But oh, I think, but I the think thing, there's a balance. Like, yeah, I think there is a balance. We want some insights. And, yeah. like, I think the point we're trying to make is I that can't believe these are the two options. The- <laughs> <laughs> like on Instagram it just looks way more of a joke than it actually is. Like I think, you know, I just think it's just quite funny. I just do. I think I think everyone needs to go and look at their Instagram accounts because I think you've really hit the nail on the head in terms of where they are in their unique or at least modern thinking of campaigning, but not just campaigning, this idea around having an opportunity to really showcase a very big group of people, who they are, what they stand for. I mean, social media has changed the world. People are doing viral videos that have got a kid, you know, like lip syncing a Taylor Swift song from Mm. Oregon, Oregon, and we don't know who they are. They're a nobody and the video's gone viral. Like they have an opportunity to do something so much bigger. Well, it's and, bizarre. And if they don't figure it out and start to bring in candidates that do probably, in my view, like reflect the electorate more broadly, then they risk having people that do know how to use those platforms that can mobilise you know, like if Kayla Sinney's, you know, decided she wanted to run for politics, she's got 11 million followers, you know, and who knows how many of those are from Australia, but pretty sure she could give whoever her local member is a run for their money. I just don't think we're a country that's ever going to get to that point, but I do think there's a a balance. (laughs) Yeah, I do. And funnily enough, maybe a year ago I thought we might because we were in such disarray. I think now at least from both of those, Maybe they are supposed to look like funny old men on Instagram to some degree. We want mm. that. There's an age element that with people that run the country in our country. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I look at the the Prime Minister of New Zealand and all these different countries. They're younger and vibrant and and relevant. I guess I just don't see us in that in that scheme. And maybe we should aspire to that. Why shouldn't we aspire to something that? that we'd have a leader that we could relate more to. I just think I kind of have always thought for us that that wouldn't, that just won't be Australia's jam. (laughs) I mean, I hope we can find the middle ground. Like I'm not saying like, you know, I don't think we need to go to full on celebrity Yeah, we don't need a teenager or a, yeah, complex celebrity. But I just do think um, we're craving authentic connection and we want to see leaders with really strong principles and values and stick to those things and we need that stability and that vision setting really. Like we don't want to just be looking back and playing safe. It's like we want to see some, like there's some big issues we're facing, climate change being one of them, and we want to see some leadership. Before we speak 
to Barry Cassidy, who is host of the uh, polit- the most successful political show in the country, Insiders, who he's only hosting, I don't know how long, but he's retiring from that very soon. But he is a political genius uh, and such a great conversationalist. He's a good friend of mine and he's going to be on the show uh, very soon. Mm. But I, before we move on, I want to ask you a question on that. When you speak of transparency, when you speak of this, I suppose, connection element that we mm. want in a leader, we want to be able to see who they are. Do you think that they may just be using some platforms incorrectly or maybe being advised by people that have campaigned, you know, years ago, even though I do hear a lot of the campaigners or media advisor in their 20s because they need to survive elections or a lot of older people don't necessarily generally speaking, work in those types of roles. I know a lot of the media advisors happen to be more younger skewed, Mm -hmm. ironically. But is it actually about the fact that some of these campaigns have been, I suppose, maybe not best ran on social media? Or is it the fact that we have a lot of politicians that aren't actually real? And there aren't real things to show. I think there's a mixture of things going on. I think, understandably, it's they keep their messaging really tight because it one thing that goes out of place can destroy a campaign for them. And so I think they weigh up the risks and decide to play it super safe. Mm. And they kind of know that they need to be, that they could be being more authentic, but I just think they weigh up the risks and mm. it's, you know, they're talking about getting into government and they they don't have that risk tolerance. And I think there is an issue where there's career politicians uh-huh. and there's a huge amount of hierarchy and it's not exactly, you know, just open to the average person to be able to run as a candidate. And I think some parties have a bigger issue there than others where you see better gender equality and diversity and stuff in the ranks than others. But I think there is an issue where they need to work harder to actually engage the electorate in their membership and in their policy design, things like that. Okay. So, yeah, I think there's a one thing to look out for. Like personally, when I'm looking out for it, I just try and think, is this – because it's really natural to engage with politicians on values. That's how we kind of navigate and decide whether we – think how we think about their policies but if it's getting beyond personality if it's about being personal and attacking them for things that are irrelevant to their ability to represent their community and irrelevant to their leadership for example their haircut and this applies or their suit I keep talking about the men women that kind of thing I think that's where you can like you know, if you're talking about what can we do, because a lot of it's outside of our control, I think that's one thing you can do is like, don't click on the thing that, that gets super personal. Um, just try and, you know, keep it about the things that matter. And that's one thing that we can all do as citizens. Mm, unlikely that's going to happen. I mean, I don't really click on much clickbait. Mm. I try and go source news from where I mm. want to source it from. But I do think a lot of people do. And I think that's how do you ever overcome that? Yeah, I think, like, it's interesting because I think about this and, like, in other spheres of our life, we kind of make a decision, well, you know, I'm going to stay up watching Netflix even though I need to go to sleep or, like, you make those decisions all the time in your life in other spheres or if you decide you want to feel less anxious that you need to stop, you know, you need to start challenging unhelpful thoughts. Like, I think we all come to place, mm. you know, my view is you, you, we're constantly making similar decisions in our lives every day. Mm. And part of it is just becoming aware. Like, even if you click on the thing, like, 
be mm. mindful of how mm. much you're absorbing it. If you mm. want to read it, fine, but like mm. think about how much you're taking that on and let that letting that influence your perception mm. of mm. and remember that they are part of generally part of a party and there's policies and real decision making that goes on and if you're letting, you know, whoever's put that piece of information out there is doing it intentionally to influence you. Mm. And that's a good piece there's of intention behind that and I, yeah. Ian, I think that's more realistic. I think you might be interested in knowing what Bill Shorten's wife's doing or what's Gomo did at a regional radio station or whatever, but mm. it is real. It is a good point. You're not just jumping in and choosing your GP off some random. You oh, know, I found a great electrician, um, Sparky Steve. Great name, but you know yeah. what I mean. You're not choosing your GP based on what they look like. You know, no. you're thinking about other things. So I, I think we can be better. I think you're right. Barry Cassidy joins us uh, to talk about this idea around personality versus party and what are we actually voting for. If you haven't come across Barry before, which I think you've probably li- been living under a rock, but he is the host of Insiders. You might see him do all kinds of different programs on the ABC and the project and also was a political advisor for Bob Hawke for many, many years. He was first a journalist, then headed over to Parliament himself, and now he's back in the media. So the guy has seen every single view there is to see of politics. Um, Okay, Barry Cassidy up next. Did you know? So this is interesting. Young people make up about 30% of the electorate. So if there's a major swing in the youth vote, it could determine the outcome of the election. Hey, Baz. Do you think that the, I think one of the strengths that a lot of people are finding, particularly if you're a female voter and you're looking at the representation in the different, to the different major parties, do you think the Labor Party is actually suffering from the fact that Scott Morrison has called it such a presidential kind of campaign when Shorten in particular, a lot of people argue, is the less liked character but has maybe a stronger party? Well, that's why Scott Morrison has done this in a, in a way as well. You know, they, they, they research these these campaigns in advance and, and the big issues really in the second half of last year were disunity was the big negative for, for the uh, coalition and some doubts about Bill Shorten's leadership was a big neg- negative for Labor. And so because Scott Morrison leads as preferred Prime Minister, they saw that as a lifeline and they thought, thought we'd better grab this for all it's worth and make it a choice um, between him and Bill Shorten. Mm. And look, he had little choice anyway um, mm. b- because they don't have a lot of women. You, you mentioned women. They don't mm. have a lot of women in their ranks, um, mm. whereas Labor after this election will have 50% uh, women mm. in their numbers. Um, so that's why they've done that. But in a sense, I think they've tried to rely on an advantage that doesn't really exist uh, because that preferred prime minister thing doesn't mean very much anyway because historically almost always the prime minister is the preferred prime minister over the opposition leader, no matter who that might be. Kevin Rudd was an exception when he first became opposition leader up against John Howard. There have been one or two exceptions. As a general rule, that's the case. And in any case, the gap is now seven points, which which really is is neither here nor there. So as I say, I really do think they relied on an advantage that um, in the end, the closer you get to the election, it's not there. I'm glad you like brought up Kevin Rudd there because in his campaign that he originally ran, it felt a lot closer to that kind of presidential celebrity style kind of communication. What was his thing, K Rudd? What was his Kevin um, 07. <laughs> But we remember it, right? And I like I remember it felt refreshing, and he was across lots of different platforms. And I found it quite interesting that like Scott Morrison and Shorten's campaigns, like their Instagrams, they only have both of them have less than forty thousand followers. Their Instagrams feel like they've 
taken like copy and pasted their campaign shots and put them on Instagram. It's like they don't quite get the platform yet. Barry, in your views, there's something like holding Australians back. Like why aren't we seeing the same type of kind of celebrity use of Instagram that we're seeing in the States where, you know, Trump and Obama have millions of followers and Well that's why they don't get the followers because they don't know how to use it. They just put it put out put out political tripe the whole time. Um, the only way that I think social media works in Australia is is because a lot of the supporters on either side know how to use it. But overwhelmingly, it's Labor. I mean, Labor has a, a clear advantage when it comes to social media because they've got people who are far more savvy, um, which, again, is, I think, a reflection of the coalition uh, that their supporters tend to be older um, and and a lot of them are men and, and they don't really um, have the same kind of uh, <laughs> devotion for the social media than others do. <laughs> Look, it's, 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 it's almost meaningless. But what cuts through occasionally is that, that, that those who are savvy know what to, what to put on, on the social media. They pull out those kind of grabs from the from the doorstops that, that um, you know, they think they can exploit and then they run with. But it's it's so full of stuff too that's um, that's just rubbish. That that um, you know people are making stuff up. They're putting out uh, false claims on on either side, and um, so you know social mm-hmm. media for for all of the uh, all of the potential um, is still not there. I mean, Kevin Rudd was a was, was a bit of a dag, but he did know mm-hmm. he did know how to uh, how to embrace social media, and he got some some value for that. But the, the, the Labor Party suffered in the end because it was all about Kevin Rudd. That, in the end, was part of his downfall. But that's an interesting point, though, because I think it might have got him over the line, the way they involved he involved his daughter, Jessica. I remember her. She played such a massive part. It was like a reality TV show to some degree with that family. And it's interesting because as much as we like to say that it doesn't, it, it doesn't, does it really hold that much power? I think that it does. I think in the, in the culture that we live in at the moment, and particularly we know that young voters hold so much power, um, particularly this year and the last election. Um, and we saw what happened with the plebiscite. Is there something that they need to consider a little bit more with it? Maybe not this presidential campaign, but this more celebrity profile approach. Or do you think they're doing that and just doing a shocking job of it? No, I just think they're doing a poor job of it, and and I think you know the the the, the, st- the official stuff that come out of the, the the parties and the campaign headquarters is useless. It's only the stuff at the edges that the supporters are contributing. I think that mm-hmm. that really matters. And you talk about young people, and I think again, this is something the coalition doesn't quite get. I mean, they hang on to, to sort of almost mythical presentation. Like, for example, they say that we are the better economic managers, and every time News Poll does a poll, sure enough, it shows not not overwhelmingly, but it shows the coalition are the better economic managers. But the Australia Institute broke that down the other day, and people right up to thirty five don't believe that. People up to thirty five no. say that Labor. Are the better economic managers, so it shows you that times are changing, and and the liberals are hanging on to some of these um, some of these sort of misguided conceptions because it suits them. But rapidly, they're losing them, and it may be partly that that they're losing that because they haven't got a grip on social media. So, Barry, if you were say a campaign manager for an, any opposition party right now, and you had to try and think about a strategy, would you try and find? someone that's very savvy with social media, perhaps has three or 10 million followers and see what, like, think about how to use their platform to mobilise the community and pick them as a candidate? Or would you try and think about how to get an existing candidate to be better at using that platform? Um, Well, I guess if you're a campaign manager, you would take that into account. And if somebody did have um, three or 400,000 followers, that would be a factor. And you would think that they'd be able to, to, to draw on that. 
Uh, you would hope that in the end, though, they choose candidates based on uh, um, yes. based on their <laughs> uh, <laughs> positions. Not every country. <laughs> their interest in running the country, um, just small things like that. Um, <laughs> celebrity candidates have uh, invariably failed in, in Australia. You know, we, we've now got a, a rash of independents, but you've got to make the distinction. The independents who are succeeding are not people who are celebrities in their electorates. They're people who were hard workers in their electorates who became. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm well known because of what they did within the community. Celebrity candidates have got a poor record. I mean, Peter Garrett was probably one exception. He did okay, though. In the end, I don't know whether he he really enjoyed the experience, um, but at least he was a passionate person and he wasn't there because he was a, a celebrity. So I, think, I don't think we should uh, should pick it based on the number of Twitter followers. Mm. Um, and so talk to us about Bob Hawke in terms of he came, he, he ended up being such a iconic personality and as much as he was a politician first and foremost, there was something else, there was a kind of celebrityism about him that essentially who he was and that real strap-around bloke. Did you, when you worked on that campaign or when, when you're working with someone like Bob Hawke, was that turned up or was that just who he was and it just kind of just fed to media headlines and fed to the public? Or was no, that was part of him who turned he up? Was. It, mm. it became more obvious during campaigns because he was out and about with people and so they yeah. saw more of him uh, through the cameras. But, you know, uh, John Singleton uh, described him as an intellectual knockabout. And I think that's what he was. It was a combination of the two, that he was an intellectual, obviously. Um, and you don't run the country for that long unless you've got some intellect. But he was also the knockabout and he related in that way. And he absolutely loved sort of being out and about. It sort of gave him energy. You know, two things gave Bob Hawke energy, the sun. He would lie in the sun and that seemed to energise him. <laughs> and, he also, and he also enjoyed meeting people. And yeah. that gave him a bit of energy, whereas Paul Kelly hated it. He hated getting around because he didn't quite relate to people in the same yeah. way. So he had the intellect, but he didn't have that sort of knockabout ability to just go out and, and talk with ordinary people at their level. So you can't – so are you saying you kind of can't teach that to these leaders at the moment? Like you need to have that innately with you, and is that why maybe a lot of them aren't that popular because they may be in it for – very different reasons. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the two leaders at the moment. And Scott Morrison thinks that he's got it. He thinks he's a great communicator and, and you get this sort of verbal diarrhoea day in and day out. But he's a windbag. I mean, that's what it is. But if you boil it down, he's a windbag. And not a lot of what he says is going to resonate because it just it's like throwing words against the wall. Bill Shorten, on the other hand, if, he, if he's to win this election, it, it would be a strike against charisma. It would show you that charisma doesn't really matter. <laughs> And, and maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing, you know. Maybe we finally need a, a leader yeah, um, who, who's not that. getting there because of. Uh, because of a sort of a, a, a particular personality trait. I think, well, I mean, the thing that I've noticed is like, yeah, the emphasis isn't just on short and it's on all of these other personalities and so it feels more like a party and so you mm. have a sense that because not many people are a member of a political party these days and so the sense that there's actually representation I feel like is – 
a bit stronger right now with Labor because there's more than one person up front, whereas um, – and like so lots of personalities versus one. What happened in the first couple of weeks of the campaign is Bill Shorten came in for a bit of criticism because he didn't seem to be on top of the detail. There didn't seem to be enough passion there. He wasn't breaking through. And and so he started he, – he got someone to ride shotgun with him the, the whole time and he started – he would get – he would give his spiel but then he would hand over to a Chris Bowen or a Christina Keneally or Tanya Plibersek or Penny Wong and it started to work a whole lot better then because, one, he, he relaxed about the detail because he knew he had the, the person that was expert in that portfolio alongside of him, but also to, to share it with people that uh, – Clearly, I think are easy easy to listen to. People like Tanya Plibersek and Penny Wong are a whole lot easier yeah. to listen to. Oh, please imagine them as running for leaders. That would be a dream. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, but you I know, when, when you talk about how at individual, you know, is it presidential or is it built on on the single individual? Take a look at what Clive Palmer's trying to pull off at the moment yeah. with, by spending seventy million dollars. It's the most ridiculous proposition <laughs> you could ever imagine. He <laughs> runs people. He that he's got 151 candidates. He's got a candidate in every seat and says he'll win. To do that, he would need to win 76 contests when he won't win a single one. But but what if he was to win 76? Who would be prime minister? I mean, he can't be because he's running in the Senate. He's got all these, you know, wackos running around and from that group he would have to choose a prime minister. It's, it's just an insane proposition. I, I think, like, do you think uh, on Clive Palmer, I kind of get the sense that there's a bit of a collective, un, you know, cringe factor that people, because he's gone to the extreme, like he's not just running, you know, two candidates or something, he's running 100. So, like... Do you think people feel like he's just like he's gone so extreme that people feel like he's trying to buy their vote and that's actually worked against him, or is it just that his personality doesn't resonate? Well, it's I, I think people who know him would be offended by the fact that he that he that he owes his workers millions of dollars that that he owes the Commonwealth because they've already paid some of that money to the workers that he faces um, charges under the Corpor- Corporations Act. I mean, all of that would bother them. Um, and <laughs> you'd think the closer you get to Queensland, look, he might get a Senate seat because you don't need as many votes, of course, to get, to get elected to the Senate. He might get a Senate seat in Queensland. If he does, you'll keep out Malcolm Roberts from One Nation. So. You can take your pick as to whether that's a good or a bad outcome. It's pretty scary. I think um, there is something interesting about, I suppose, our generation, the way that we want to consume information, the way that we want to vote. I think often now people are trying to get a little bit more educated. I know that at the absolute minimum, people will use Vote Compass that are in my my social circles and then maybe even further do some own research, heavens forbid. But it is one of these things that is changing. Do you think the Trump effect had an effect on the younger generation and us really, I guess, educating up and trying to ensure that essentially that doesn't happen to us? Um, yes, and I'd like to think it goes a little further than that too, and that that the, the experience in the United States has made made us not only more aware but more alert and more alert to, to those kind of developments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when kind of just falsehoods are put out or, or people can just deny the obvious and, um, and and they can start using extreme language and they don't care whether they incite racism or, or, or not. Um, I would hope it, it, it in, in Australia, because we're a very different country, I hope it does um, set off a few alarm bells. 
I've just got one more question. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about like young, well, now show we talk about how young voters are more likely to vote on an issue to issue level. And you can see how personality and popularity could really feed into that if they identify with a candidate. But my understanding is baby boomers and much older Australians are much more likely to be ideologically aligned, kind of aligned with their party. That's who they vote for regardless. Do you think we're going to see that shift? Because I just feel like even when I hear my parents' generation <laughs> complaining about inaction and the state of the various political parties, I still think in my head, yeah, but you're not going to change who you vote for. You're still going to do the same thing. What's your perception of this or your understanding of this issue? Well, I think there's a potential for the, um, for the, for the Liberal and National Parties to lose a whole generation of voters because they just don't get climate change and they were very um, late to the party. And because they're surrounded by people who demand of them that this is all a waste of money and that we don't believe in it, either they don't believe in it or they say that it's a waste of time anyway because we can't win this on our own, you know, that hoary old <laughs> argument. It's like saying you can't do anything about poverty in, in, in <laughs> Africa with my $10 in my pocket so I won't give you the $10. Well, you know, if the whole world gave $10, we'd get somewhere. And, and so... Um, this is what they don't – they argue against the basics and I think that young people get climate change and, and I know that a lot of the Liberal members in Victoria who are door knocking are now far more aware of the uh, of the strength of the issue than they were just five weeks ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's the danger. When you, when you have an issue as big as that, and I do think it's the number one issue in this election campaign and they just don't yet realise that, um, that that's the risk. That's the risk that they will lose a generation of young people. Mm, it's interesting because – I still think that there is – I don't think it's our generation. It might be the generation younger than us because I still feel like my generation, maybe Gen Y and the older skew of that, are still – like, for example, I was at the pub, a few blokes sitting there. It was actually – I was at a boys' night, so it was quite intense. Two people that owned their businesses and both spoke about how liberal stands for small business. I found it quite interesting. I was like, that's quite – different to what I've heard in the past, particularly different to what my parents would have told me. And then one of the dudes said, I did vote Compass and it's brought up that I should vote Labor. And I said, so who will you vote for? And he said, probably still Liberal. And I thought, how interesting. I just don't think we're quite at a point where people are, are shaking off their parent influence or these old school ideals in our generation as quickly as we think. I think there may still be a bit of an overlap of people that are, are kind of too scared to look into things. Yeah, I do think, though, that this election might change some of those attitudes for this reason, that we've finally got an election where the differences are stark. You can't say yeah. that the major parties are similar. And, and and when you've got one party that, that sticks to this theory, the old trickle-down theory that you give tax cuts to individuals and particularly mm -hmm. to companies, and mm -hmm. in the end the, the employees will get the benefit of that as, as the companies grow. Um, on the other hand, Labor is doing old-fashioned income redistribution like no Labor leader that, that I've known has done, not, not this blatantly and obviously and spelling it out for what it is, and, and that's simply by – taxing on franking credits and negative gearing and all the rest of it, these tax concessions that in the main wealthy people get, and it is in the main wealthy people, and they're going to redistribute it. And they're telling you exactly how they're going to do that through childcare and so on. So it's it couldn't be more clear. And mm, and I think yeah. that that will that might in itself um, cause people to, to rethink 
um, you know, some of the... These old school thoughts. The points yeah. that their parents have passed on down the years. Yeah, yeah. The wobble wobble, the cobble wobble. <laughs> That's like the myth, the cobwebs. This has made me actually way more excited about this election. I was not sure where to go. It was feeling so close, but even if it is close, it still feels like there are there's shift coming, you know, in behaviour. Like there is two clear sides, like you say, and it's it's exciting to think that wherever we land will be a very clear indicator of where we are as a country, which sounds like a really obvious thing, but the last few elections I haven't felt like we'd get that clarity. It all felt really blurry. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair comment. Um, um, maybe Tony Abbott versus um, Kevin Rudd back then, but that was all, you know, that, that in the end that became a... Uh, punishment for Labor for, for, for the way that they'd performed in government and it wasn't about the policies. This yeah. time it's clearly about policies and it's a clear choice between the two. Thanks so much, Barry. We really Thank appreciate you, your time. We know it's a big week this week. See Thanks, Baz. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Did you know you can't vote until you're 18, but you can actually enrol to vote when you're 16, which I didn't know and probably didn't have much interest in doing, but it's an important factor to get involved. Okay, so four bite-sized episodes of conversations that we've had as mates and decided yeah. to record them for our launch, our little soft launch of Let's Get Political. And it's you didn't election- say that, Rose. Let's get political. I can't, political. I can't do your voice. Oh, my gosh. I'm- and I'm not even going to try because it's just it, it embarrasses you every <laughs> bit of the time. So oh it's God, just joy it. to me. Um, but, yeah, we do go in to vote uh, this Saturday if you're listening pre-election uh, 2019. What date will it be? The 17th or 18th? 18th. Um, I voted already. Have you? Yes. I, I must say it feels different this year. I, it feels like people are talking in the lines. People are being a little bit opinionated. People are looking at what kind of uh, um, preference sheets and the handout things are in people's hands. What are you looking at? There's that real kind of energy of not competitiveness but judgment of who you're voting for, like, which is a good thing. Yeah. I think it's like who are you going for? What are you? How are you going to put your vote forward? People are starting to really pay attention again. Oh, and I feel like... I- actually walked past like two neighbours this morning having a chat about it. It was right. so good. But I feel like the first time in ages um, it's there's been lots of discussion about policy. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Abbott, Gillard, Rudd, blah, 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 and like for so long it was just bitching and leaders oh, and, and yeah, horrible yeah, yeah. and like I actually feel like the coverage has been and the discussions in, you know, like you say with your mates and stuff has been so much more about policy and there's a real distinction between the major parties and, yeah, it does feel big. Yeah, it feels different. I think you're right and I think actually what I've learned from today's episode is that perhaps the fact that both of these particular, I guess, in inverted commas, leaders that we've that are, are going to run our country don't come across as your ideal typical leader. So I think even though that has felt really unattractive to us pre-campaign or pre-election, once we got into it, we were like, well, we're going to have to vote either way. People are going to have to make a call. So why don't we actually do some research on what everything stands for? So at the beginning, I was like, oh, feeling a little bit the same as those examples you used in the past. But then I think what it's done is by not having those glossy Malcolm Turnbull-like characters who even if you were – 
had voted Labor your whole life, he could swing anyone. He was so charismatic, <laughs> promised the world. You know what I mean? Like there was Can't something. They didn't use that. I know. As a campaign that's a different line. conversation, guy. <laughs> but it's like, well, they didn't use him in general. You know, like really, he was un- completely underused. But because he could sway so many people, there was such a leader quality about him. Um, and we don't have that in either of these two main uh, main representations of the parties. So I thought that was kind of a shitty thing, especially when we look at leaders overseas and go, why can't they be more like Obama? Why can't they be more like Jacinta? But actually what I think it's done is got people a little bit more into the nitty-gritty of what the parties are and what policies are and how do we vote and how do we actually figure things out. So I don't think that's been a bad thing. No, I totally agree. Like I've actually read some analysis that like because the polling around the leaders is like preferred leader is like they're both so kind of uninspired that it has yeah turned people to looking at the parties parties and the policy and thinking more critically, which hopefully is the case. And I just, you know, next time we chat, it'll be post-election and we can debrief. And I think that's something really nice to consider. If you still are a little bit undecided, you're still considering those things, you know, I guess the big conversation we've had today and I think has been actually represented through, as you were saying, that the coverage leading into the election is that there is a conversation around who's running the show day to day. It is not one person. So, you know, have a think about what makes you feel comfortable with who's got your vote. Have a think about, you know, who what's the group of people that are going to make you feel better as a collective and, and start from there. I mean, that's a really good place to be, I suppose. Yeah, that and... And there's been so much coverage about where the parties stand on different policy issues. So if you're really feeling overwhelmed, like we always say, start with an issue you care about, find out where the parties stand and just start there. Mm, I was marriage equality for so long. So I felt a bit lost this election because for so long I was voting no, whoever was doing marriage equality. And I'm, a, I guess, a swinger. Like it is it dependent on who I stand for, where I'm at in my life, you know. And I really encourage everybody to think like that. You should be thinking about what's relevant to me today not what's relevant to me three years ago and what's relevant to my parents, what's relevant to me today and who's stepping up for that today. And I think when the marriage equality thing was fought and we won and it was all over, I was a bit like, shit, okay, what's next? Um, And so this election for me, I've thought about it. My personal approach has been a bit more of a well-rounded idea of my views represented. So I've kind of stepped away, but it has been a really great exercise to begin my own identity and voice in our democracy to begin with a policy. I think my next step, which is this election, has been I've been a little bit more research, so I've spread into several policies, but I think your advice on choosing one policy was where I kind of started mm. to really start with a fresh start for myself. If you're a young voter and you really want to give yourself a fresh start, I think that suggestion is really, really great. This makes me so happy. <laughs> so how do you approach it? I know you don't yeah. like to speak, like you've got to be so bipartisan, like so oh, not no, either okay. way, but how do you approach your choice? Oh, like exactly the same way where, so there's a few things. I do look at where the parties stand on issues that I care about. And so I've been looking. Several? In, yeah. So I, I think some really big, I'm really interested in the future. Like what's Australia's future going to look like? Because I don't think we can rely, like we can't, we're not, 
we can't rely on the kind of economy we've had in the past. We need to look. So I've been looking at future workforce and who's investing in innovation and um, also looking out for young people coming through because 50% of the jobs uh, in like something like 2020 are going like young people aren't going to be trained for them. There's, so I got that wrong. But anyway, something like that. And so uh, education, it's employment. It's going to affect a lot of young people. It's going to affect yeah. like a lot of young people. Um, so, yeah, automation, all that. So – yeah, education, employment, climate change, and then like looking more like economic stuff. So like tax and those kind of things and just looking at where the parties stand. And then the next thing I do is look at my individual candidates. Um, and I think that's worth doing that because like in the past I lived in a marginal electorate where, so the margin was like a thousand votes or something. And what does that mean for everyone? So it's on? where the margin between the two leading parties, usually the major parties, is very small and it could swing either way. So I lived in this very uh, marginal electorate and actually when I looked into the candidates and their kind of history and just like by Googling them and stuff, I found that um, the candidate that was with the party that less aligned with my views personally had a better history than the candidate running for the party I would vote for. Mm -hmm. So then that actually influenced how I voted too because I thought it would be great to have that person in parliament. And so that's getting a bit more nuanced, but I do think it's just worth checking out the candidates because um, they are your local person. They're the You want to look at, you know, what have they been doing in the community? Well, you know, there was one local candidate, I won't say which party, but it was but they were at the voting booth. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of cool. I felt really cool to have met them. Yeah. Um, Did you ask them any? Um, I looked, I asked them about, I asked them all if they were aware of how, pref, like what, how it actually worked with what they were handing out. So mm. like, were they aware of what, like the Who influence the preferences these preferences are. are on people? What did they say? Um, one party, one guy was like, yes, we're very aware and we choose this, this and this. Mm. I found it really interesting that Labor had Greens. Greens didn't have Labor as high as them. Mm. Um, and there was no, on my local electorate, there was no One Nation on Liberal like I thought. So it was, you know, and I don't know if that changes from local to local. I imagine that it does because mm. they're different people, right? It's not like, would that course, change? That's a great question. I didn't think so, but maybe you're right. Mm, I think it would because I don't, yeah. I don't think everyone in Australia are getting the exact same specific local preferences. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, I thought it was done at a party level. So there we go. Something yeah, to look up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so it is. It's, it's still confusing. It's like still we're confusing. still navigating through yeah. it. But at the end of the day, I want to leave you with this because I learned this on our own show and I've learned so much on this own show. If you do not vote for your preferences, the parties that need to put their vote somewhere that don't get up will choose where those preferences go. So when you choose only to put one in the top box instead of one to six um, or you go and number the other kind of green slip, the the longer one, not the big, big, big long one, the short little kind of one, um, if you don't put all the numbers in that either, your preferences are chosen by someone else. You need to keep that in mind because if you just put one, two, it's then it means three, four, five, six are going somewhere else that you didn't choose. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned. So even if you're scared, just take your phone and when you see the names there, quickly Google what the party is and then put a number in the box. Have an actual say, like follow it through the whole way because I really didn't, I was not aware of that. And so it's interesting that I feel like I had six votes, but I was only using one. 
Yeah. With preference, with preferences. Yeah, yeah. Preferences is so confusing, and that's. Like, but does I, that make sense yeah, to you? Like, yeah, it does. And I think, like, also, don't get like if you haven't read up on preferences, there is instructions on the ballot paper. Yeah, yeah. So, like, but it is confusing when yeah. they have the names and you don't recognize yes. some of the names, and, I, and you are like, oh shit, I, I, I did some research on the top three, but yeah. now I don't know. Now four, I don't five, know what six. the space cadet party yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, I think like watch out. Like that would be one key takeaway. Like watch out for the parties that. You don't actually know who they are. If you don't, recently- I took my phone and I googled. Yeah, I love it. I, I love took it. my phone. How and long I did googled. you spend at the ballot? Oh, it wasn't too long because okay, you cool. get an idea of what the parties are yeah, straight up. They vibe. have a party line. Yeah. You go, okay, I'd prefer to do that rather than that. It's a very low preference if you're at number six. Like it's not mm. like it's going to be mm. number one. But I, w- I want to choose that myself. I don't yes. want someone choosing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so good luck, everyone, and Yay, make sure you fun. vote. Vote. Go get the vibes, the democracy sausage and the cupcake and all the things. Yeah, I've never had a cupcake, just oh. a sausage. Oh. I've got a wedding. That's why I voted. I can't even get a bloody sausage. I know. What does that have to do with the wedding? Because <laughs> I'm just thinking me. about how I can't get a sausage or I can't get a cupcake because they don't have sausages when you pre-vote. Oh, right. Okay. I'm back on the wave. Okay. All right, guys. Um, we are going to take a bit of a break. We've kind of put these four episodes together pre-election. So we're excited to look at what we want to do with the next phase of Let's Get Political. There's so much to learn. Um, if you haven't listened back to the other episodes, there's three full episodes that are so relevant to everyday politics and everyday conversations about learning about how a democracy works. So don't feel like they're just um, exclusive to this election. And we hope you've enjoyed them so far. And we'll um, we'll see you very soon. See ya. Bye, guys. Bijou Podcasts, the home of taboo conversations. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.